Hey everybody, it's Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. I go over the stakes for Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira this weekend for the lightweight title. Also, does the ghost of Khabib haunt the lightweight division or can the winner this Saturday emerge from his undefeated shadow? I also sit down with MMA mind Duke Rufus, one of the best MMA coaches in the business to discuss this weekend and the performance of Sergio Pettis. The stakes for Poirier versus Oliveira. So here's the deal. This is how essentially we'll talk about the longevity uh, of Dustin Poirier in a minute. But the thing for me is that most people see this as a uh, they, they they see it as a an interim interim title. Freaking match. That's how the the vast majority see them. They see them as this belt, as an interim belt. Charles Oliveira didn't fight the person who is, to most people, the number one guy. The number one guy is Dustin Poirier. Now, he took, of course, the, you know, the, the he took the money. Let's say it. He took the money so that's the 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 difficulty here is that he took the money therefore uh he he didn't fight the number one he didn't fight for the title so to a lot of people charles Oliveira's belt defeating michael chandler doesn't mean very much it's technically the lineal title but he didn't beat dustin poirier he didn't beat the number one guy now that's not his fault Right? Dustin Poirier chose the Conor McGregor fight. That changes the balance here. That changes the stakes. Because to me, let's start out with the champ. Uh, Charles Oliveira is fighting for legitimacy. If he loses this, he is the forgotten champion. If he loses this, he'll be that guy who held the belt for somebody else for a minute. And you can't get around that. Kelly, am I being harsh or is that true? Most people see this as you are not champion because you didn't beat Dustin Poirier. You're holding the belt. If he loses this, it's like he was never champion. I hate to say it, but I believe it's true in the eyes of a lot of fans. Yes or no? 100%. And it's not only that. Like, if you don't defend your belt once, yes. you know what I mean? That's a yes. lot of people are against that too. Justin Gaethje was on throwing down with us on Monday and he was like, if Charles Oliveira doesn't defend the belt, like was he the undisputed champion? Like, you know, he was being like, you know, Justin Gaethje. But still, if you don't defend your belt once and then if you don't beat Dustin Poirier, who is arguably the number one guy right now, it's not a good look. Are you, how was it by the way, hearing him? Was it? I blacked out. Everything you dreamed. Okay, cool. Was, oh wow. You just literally, whoop. Don't even. He started speaking, and then five minutes later, I realized I was supposed to be taking notes on the conversation. Oh, I that works out. out great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. By the way, Jimmy, yeah, she has a, a thing for Justin Gaethje. And TJ Dillashaw and Calvin. Am K- I missing anybody? Are those are those the three? Okay. All right. All right. I don't know if I'm missing anybody. Anyway, so the, the, the stakes in this sense for Charles Oliver is if you lose, you were almost never champion. You never defended the belt, which Kelly brought up, Justin Gaethje brought up. And you never beat the guy who beat the guy who beat the guy. 
there was a lot and is a lot of criticism about Justin Gaethje not being in the title shot. In that fight between Michael Chandler and, and Charles Oliveira, a lot of people are going, Justin Gaethje should be here. Not Michael Chandler. You can make a valid point that defeating Michael Chandler, he didn't even face the number one guy who was available. Now, that's not at all Charles Oliveira's fault. He doesn't book the fights, okay? But let me look at let's back up a little bit. All right, so I've, I've kind of gone over Charles Oliveira, the champ, what he has to lose. He will be virtually erased from title history, which sucks. MMA fighting, this is from July 22nd. This is a ways back. But Dustin Poirier said four or five years left in MMA. Only interested in fights that will, quote, leave a legacy. Dustin Poirier said, I've been, I've been fighting for a while. I have 40 fights. I want those last four or five years to really mean something every time I get into the octagon. This is with Jim Rome. Not only for me and my family, but for the goals that I'm trying to bring awareness to and raise money for my career, I really want to leave a legacy. I'm not sure what the options will be when the UFC comes back and starts sitting at the table to make these matches. I need to be really big name or a title fight. I've been doing this for 10 years in the UFC. I love fighting, but I want these fights to mean more than a fight. So, what does it mean when you have four or five years left and you lose to Charles Oliveira? Now, before I get into this, we're assuming lose in dramatic fashion or it's one side. This is like a banger, and it's you know one judge sees it one way by one point. All right, we might see a rematch. Neither guy will, air quotes, lose in a sense. I, this is assuming one guy gets it over the other in a dramatic fashion. And given the skills these guys have, it's not out of the park, okay? But if Dustin Poirier does lose with the years he has left and the age he is, would he even come back? Would he even? All right, I'm not going to be. Ch- I don't have time in the years I have left to be number one. Is it worth sticking around? He's 32 years old, which is not old, but it's not young in the fight game. Okay, I know to Kelly that's ancient, but it's not young in the fight game. So when you look at it now, should he lose to Charles Oliveira? And let's assume it's in dramatic fashion, meaning by submission or knockout. Does he have time before he's 35, 36 and wants to call it a career before? Does he have time to get back to the title? Can he go through the Michael Chandlers, the Justin Gaethje's, Islam Makachev waiting in the wings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Can he get through those guys in the years he has left? That's the question. Can you afford to slide down this ladder? And if you want to be retired in four years, Jesus, those are some tough matches for the next three or four years. But another thing to keep in mind is he got Conor McGregor money twice. Dude is sleeping on silk sheets if he wants to. Does he have that motivation? Is it really? Oh, man, I really, want, I really want to be champ after it. Now, once again, provided he loses to Charles Oliveira, he's got to get up, go to the gym, do his road work, do all the stuff necessary to climb back up with probably a couple million bucks in the bank. I don't know what that's like. I don't have a couple million bucks in the bank. But I'm saying, can he really find that? Like, So people listening to my voice, you're driving your car, listening to this show, going, wow, Jimmy's great at his job. Beyond that, you're also thinking, look, Dustin Boyer has always had heart. He's always been a warrior. He's always been this and that. And he's always been hungry. And, I, man, I, how can you question his determination? I've never 
question his in-fight determination ever. Even when Khabib was kicking the crap out of him, he still believed he'd come back and win. When Justin Gaethje was thumping him, he still believed he'd come back and win, and, and in one of those cases, he did. There's a different kind of tenacity to put your family through, to put yourself through, to put your wife through, to put all this stuff. It's a different kind of tenacity. And he might decide it's not worth it anymore. Should he lose to Charles Older? I'm not sure. But it's a different kind of tenacity than fights on, bell has rung, it's time to go. That's a different kind of tenacity than looking down the barrel at a year of fight camps in order to fight your way back to the top. That's a different kind of tenacity. I'm not saying he doesn't have that, but I'm comparing two different kinds of tenacity. I believe in my heart of hearts, Charles Oliveira has more to lose. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Khabib is, in a lot of people's minds, the best lightweight in the world, even retired. That even though uh, he's no longer in it, Dana White did everything he could to lure him back, it didn't happen. That the fact that he retired undefeated and is the greatest lightweight of his generation makes this fight, uh, I don't want to say meaningless, but it takes the impact away from the fight. That, that whoever wins will not be seen as the number one 155-pounder in the world. I somewhat disagree with that for a couple of reasons. So let me say the reasons why people are saying this. Is he defeated Dustin Poirier comparatively easily. He's fighting for a title on Saturday. Kelly, I know this hurts. He defeated Justin Gaethje, once again, comparatively easily. Justin Gaethje, a top contender right now. But when I look at the UFC rankings, when I pull them up, and I'm still talking about the champion as well, Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira never fought or lost to Khabib. Never did. Your champ, Charles Oliveira, did not fight or lose to Khabib. Because they're one and the same because he never lost. Duh. Uh, Justin Poirier, number one contender, did lose. Number uh, two contender, Justin Gaethje, did lose. But Neil Daryush, number three, did not. Islam Makachev, number four, did not. Michael Chandler, number five, did not. That's your top five. Your top five contenders, three of them, did not lose to Khabib. But the two that did are the top two guys. One and two. Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje both lost in dramatic fashion to Khabib. So he's still around, but it's starting to go away a little bit. Also, also, another thing to keep in mind, Khabib ain't coming back. He's promoting Eagle FC. Dana White did everything he could to convince him to come back. that It didn't happen. If there was some kind of tease here, if there was some kind of, well, he could come back and flatten all these guys, he could still do it and be the man. 
if there was any talk of this from Khabib, I do believe it would take away from the title fight. But he didn't. He could have come back. He chose not to. And I don't believe any rational MMA fan believes he's coming back. At all. It's not happening. So if there were that tease, then I believe you might have something here. Uh, But there isn't. Khabib is definitely done. He's definitely gone. The division and the fans of the division need to move on. They just have to understand that he's not coming back, that ship done sailed, and that's it. He is not coming back. Uh, so, Kelly, do you agree with that original premise that uh, if, if, if Khabib were right now teasing comebacks and, oh, you never know, I might come back, I might come back, then you kind of hold back on that enthusiasm for the champion. You hold back a little bit because, man, if Khabib comes back, he beats this guy. He becomes the invisible opponent. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if there was any chance of him coming back, that would have to be the thought because he never lost. He retired on a win, on a really, really, really dominant win. And then you still had people calling him out. So it was like his name was still in everyone's mouth. So if he decided to come back at some point, especially at some point soon, he would still be like everyone would still consider him the champion ultimately. Right. Right. So I I don't believe – I believe when a – like, for example, John Jones – I really believe John Jones is committed to this heavyweight thing. I don't think we ever see him fight again. Not because he doesn't want to. I think it's the money. I, I don't see, think we see him fight again. But I believe he never again fights at, at light heavyweight. If we do see him, he's committed to this heavyweight experiment. It would take several years for him to do his thing at heavyweight, fail or not, whatever the deal is, and then go back to light heavyweight. I don't think we ever see that. So the way I see it is... He's just not going to do that. John Jones is committed to heavyweight. So the, the the light heavyweight division that he left, I think is free to move on without him. And I think it has moved on without him. And John Jones isn't on everybody's lips all the time. I feel the same way about lightweight. Khabib is gone. Ain't coming back. We've all moved past it. And... Olivera Chandler, the whole reason, the whole reason we had that fight, which didn't include Justin Gaethje, and a lot of people are upset about that, including uh, my producer, Kelly Kell. But the reason that, we, that, that both of those guys fought for the title is to move past Khabib. Justin Gaethje had just gotten shellacked by Khabib. And Dana White knew that if Justin Gaethje defeated either Michael Chandler or, or Charles Oliveira, let's for argument's sake say it was Charles Oliveira because, uh, you know, Chandler was the new guy. But if we look at it that way, that was how it was designed was to get around Khabib. Did it work? Do you believe the ghost of Khabib is still active at lightweight? I don't think it is. I think we're able to move past it. We understand as a... As a, I don't know, as a fan base, we have to move past it. And I believe we have. I believe we have, I believe we as a fan base have moved past the fact that we'll never see Khabib again. And we have a champion that didn't lose. If Poirier wins? I, <sighs> Let me put it this way. I don't believe he, he's a ghost in this fight Saturday. 
if Poirier wins on Saturday and is now the man, I do believe Khabib's name will come up quite a bit. Why? A legacy is defined partly by what happens to the people you beat. He handled Dustin Poirier. At the time, Dustin Poirier was an interim champion. So when he beat him, he was interim champ. Now he becomes the champ champ. And so that that victory kind of grows in stature for Khabib. And there might be this idea of Dustin Poirier has beaten everybody except Khabib. Possibly. I don't think he's a ghost of the fight on Saturday, though, because Charles Oliveira hasn't fought Khabib. So there's also that balance of if Poirier is unquestionably right now, becomes unquestionably Saturday, the number one lightweight in the world, doesn't that elevate Khabib? His legacy? Sure, he's gone. He's not fighting anymore. But Khabib thumped his ass, and now he's champion? What? I mean, that says a lot about Khabib and his abilities. Period. So... Did you agree with that? I know you're a Gaethje fan. I get it. But did you understand the 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 thought process of the UFC trying to move past Khabib with Chandler versus Oliveira for the belt? Did you understand that? And do you think it worked? I mean, I definitely understand it. Originally, when the title fight was announced, I was obviously annoyed since Justin Gaethje had been the last person to fight for the title. But like everyone said... It was a bad loss for him. So to get right back into the title shot after a loss like that wouldn't have really worked out. So I understood what they were doing, too, with two guys that had never fought Habib. But like you're saying now, like, if Dustin Poirier wins on Saturday, it elevates Habib again. And then if Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje fight next, mid-next year, and Justin Gaethje wins, it elevates Habib again. Like, it's his name is never going to stop being in people's mouths, but I'm not sure how much of the ghost is him of him is left. Because like we were talking about on the pre-show call, all of these guys that are at the top of the lightweight division right now have either one, never fought him, so there's nothing really to base off of, whether you think they would lose or not. You know what I mean? They never right. got the chance. Or they have fought him, lost, and have picked up one or multiple wins since that point. So I don't know if there's ever going to be a point in the near future where we stop talking about Habib because he did beat some of these guys at the top of this division. But I'm just not sure if that, like, ghost of him is still there. Yeah. I don't know how strong it is. I just don't know. Do we really believe Khabib beats all these people? Maybe, because he already has, you know, beaten a lot of them. What I'm curious about is behind the scenes, and this is just a little insider thing. It's just, you know, it just is what it is. It's It's not dramatic news, but it's true. As promoters... You're hardly ever neutral. It's hardly ever, oh, we got two guys. May the best man win. I hope the you know whoever wins wins, and, and that's the way. No. Most promoters say this person winning is better for us. This person, whoever it is, is better for us. What I'm kind of curious about, and the way I have it laid out in my brain, is Dustin Poirier is the bigger name. The UFC has invested more in Dustin Poirier. They gave him the Connor fight twice, second and third fight. Uh, he might draw more for them. Might make them more money, might sell more pay-per-views, might put more asses in seats. But 
He's not the unquestioned number one. <laughs> and Dana White wants the unquestioned number one to be champion. When you talk about Kamara Usman and GSP and who has the, the greater legacy, which side has Dana White always taken in that debate, Kelly? When you talk about Kamara Usman and um, GSP, the side of the active fighter. Always side with the active fighter. Why? He's making me money, and GSP ain't. I may behind the scenes be going, GSP is a better fighter. Right? GSP is the greatest wealthweight of all time. I may say that behind the scenes, but whenever you stick a microphone in my face, I'm always going to back the horse that's making me money right now. And that's it. It's a similar thing here, where Charles Oliveira, should he win has the ability to say, I never lost to Khabib. The number one 155-pounder right now is me. It's me. I could have beaten Khabib. I never got a shot at that guy. Let me at him. Would have loved to have gotten a shot at that guy. I just never got the opportunity. Damn it. Is it true? We'll never, ever know, people. We'll never know, but he can say it, and he can say it, and you can somewhat believe it. I'm not saying Charles Oliveira beats a prime Khabib, but we never saw it. So mathematically, I can't say it's an impossibility. So does the UFC want Dustin Poirier, who makes some more money, or do they want Charles Oliveira, who has a claim to be the number one lightweight of his generation? Probably the money, but I don't know exactly where Dana White's head is at. 877-FIGHT-93 is the number. 877-344-4893. Here's my question. Is Khabib still hanging around in the mind of MMA fans, which all of you are, and MMA fighters? Are they fighting against, whether they like it or not, whether, whether they'd be willing to admit it or not, are they fighting against the ghost of Khabib every time they step in the octagon for a title? Only way to say it. Is his ghost still haunting the 155-pound division? Do you believe the winner of this fight, be it Poirier or Charles Oliveira, though Charles Oliveira never fought him, has better chances, get out from underneath that... Uh, that legacy, that crushing legacy of the undefeated Khabib, the monster that nobody beat, including Dustin Poirier. Kel, what do you think? Do you think the UFC prefers Dustin Poirier, who makes some more money, or Charles Oliveira, who has a claim to number one? What do you think? I genuinely think Dustin Poirier. I think because of the name value and some of the potential upcoming opponents for him, they would lean that way 100%. Good chance. Very good chance. It's all about dollars and cents here, people. Everybody wants to be number one. You want to make money. You want to be rich. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL, taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. He is a world-class MMA coach, was a world-class kickboxer back in his day. Great to talk 
MMA with him any chance I get. Duke Rufus, how you doing, my man? I am great. Great to hear from you, Jimmy. It's always a pleasure to be on the show with you guys. Thanks, bud. I appreciate that. The first thing I got to talk about is uh, Sergio Pettis' performance last time out in Bellator, defending his title against Kyoji Horiguchi, spitting back fist, turned everything around. Is that something he does in the gym all the time? Because it looked smooth in that fight. Yeah, if you go on my Instagram at Coach Duke Rufus, you'll see I just shared the training footage of us doing it the last three to four months we were doing a lot of spinning strikes the reason by the reason being guys like wonder boy and guys like horiguchi the karate fighters are very awkward in the mma game in kickboxing a little easier to fight them the ring's smaller so you can contain them but in that big bellator cage he's a slippery guy and same thing with wonder boy when you fight him in the big cage not at the at the apex but the the kryptonite of the karate fighter is they exit with their hands down. Anthony took advantage of that with Wonder Boy. Sergio took advantage of that by spinning. We were working that a lot. I grew up in karate. I grew up in taekwondo, so I understand how those guys move. Now, the other kryptonite of the karate stance, it's not meant to stand in the trenches. It's a mobile stance. So when you get hit hard in the karate stance, you're going to go out like Wonder Boy did and Horiguchi, whereas a boxing Muay Thai stance, you're, you're a little bit more of a shell. Well, you know, you did that one show where you guys went around and did all the disciplines, right? Did a lot of Muay Thai, yep. Yeah, and the boxing and Muay Thai, the reason why they're in the stance they are, it's also to sustain a little damage, you know. You, you can take a punch better, tuck your chin, and that is the kryptonite of karate. Sergio took the reps, turned it into reality. Because if you watch the fight again, he attempted two spinning backfists earlier in the fight and a spinning hook kick. But what happens later in the fight, the karate guys, when they feel comfortable, they lean more. They don't move their feet. So you got to be patient the way Sergio and Anthony were. You probe them, you probe them, you probe them. You just keep inching in closer and closer, and boom, you deliver the big blow. Uh, as far as you're concerned, I'm talking to Duke Rufus, of course, coach of Sergio Pettis, uh, Rufus Sports, so many champions under that banner. Sergio Pettis right now at 135, talk about that transition from 25 to 35. It seems like it's made him a better fighter. It seems like he's more explosive. It seems like he's really reaching his peak at this point. Was the weight difference, you know, going to moving up a weight class, was that part of it? Did he feel physically better in training? A hundred percent. He's much more powerful. I mean, he's had two great big knockouts in, in Bellator um, with uh, the, the added power. I, I never was a fan of um, him being at 125. I just not a big fan of this weight cutting stuff. In fact, Emmanuel Sanchez is making the move to 155. You know, normally he has a lot of pop on that mat, and that's Manuel's dance, and he just couldn't dance. And, you know, it's uh, I've, I've seen a lot of fighters moving up. I mean, look, look at Dustin Poirier moving from 45 to 55. What a completely different animal. He was great at 45, legendary at 55. And, and uh, it's an assessment I'm making with a lot of my fighters of this obsessive weight cutting. It's a culture that I, I don't necessarily believe in in MMA. I mean, even Mike Chandler, some people think he could make 145. Well, he's still one of the best in the world at 155. Um, I, I just think that uh, we over-exaggerate this weight cutting in MMA. 
Uh, speaking, of course, to Duke Rufus. Now, uh, let's make a little bit of a transition. You you brought him up, Dustin Poirier, this weekend, man. Great main event, Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. The broad strokes to me, when I look at Dustin Poirier, I see a guy who is he's, he's all heart. He's a great power puncher. Uh, his boxing is, of course, fantastic. Good low leg kicks. But really, his heart, his grit, his determination, his gas tank. When I look at Charles Oliveira, I see a guy both on the feet and on the ground who has skills that are just otherworldly. He's maybe the most skilled guy at 155, but people question his ability to go long distances, to really dig deep and win fights. Those are the broad strokes. What do you agree with and disagree with about those assessments, man? I think you hit Dustin Poirier on the head, and I think you hit Charles on the head because uh, I've had the pleasure of coaching three times against Charles, and our team has beat him twice. Um, Anthony Pettis submitted him in the deep water at 45. And there's another guy, the example, 45 to 55 success. Um, but getting back to subject at hand, and then Paul Felder stopped him on the ground with elbows. Charles is a front runner. And the guys that give Charles problem are guys like Poirier, who jumps up in your face right away. But I will give Charles this. He's improved a lot. I see elbows and knees being a factor possibly against Dustin. I favor Dustin, but I do see the X factor of Poirier, excuse me, of Charles with elbows and knees. One, I like both of these guys as human beings. They're very respectful, nice guys. I enjoy being around at UFCs, fighting against them or with them. They're great people, and I'm fans of both of their fighting style. I'm tuning in. I can't wait. I'm going to be at my uh, cousin's wedding watching the fight on the app. <laughs> I, I know you will be. I could not stay away from it. I've watched more than one uh, fight. You know, when I was supposed to be doing something else, paying attention to something else, I do it all the time. So uh, what I'm curious about is you talk about Michael Chandler, another guy who had trouble with his pacing. He's a big front runner. He can blast you in the first couple rounds, and he has difficulty after that. Charles Oliveira, a, a front runner, explosive in the beginning, has trouble at the end. Conor McGregor has had difficulty with his pacing. How do you as a coach, if Charles Oliveira came to you and said, hey, fix my weaknesses, you recognize pacing as one of them, how do you fix that in a fighter? Um, that's a tough one. You know, yeah. the, the longer they've been in this, the, the harder it is to change. You know, one thing I help Paul Felder with is just teach him a more relaxed style of striking and fighting, try and take out every little extra ounce of energy that they're wasting and make them smoother. And that's something I do with, with a guy who they, they gas, we teach him technique. The other thing I'm a big fan of, not just flowing on the pads. Um, the reason why Sergio did so well, he said some days that pads are harder than a fight with me. I push very hard on the pads. That's what I learned in Thailand. One of my best boxing coaches taught me that, where I get to an intensity level that I learned not to gas in pads. The intensity level, because you, you know what? You can't knock out the pads. You can knock out sparring partners. So sometimes in sparring, we never really get to that fight pace, if that makes sense. So yeah. a big secret for me is these guys come at me so hard, so hard. The the pads, we, we do it a couple days a week, like almost like sprinting. If we're track stars, we open it up on those days, and they go harder than they would at anything else. And it's controlled, though. 
and I'm swinging back at him. I'm trying to take him down, et cetera. But that's something that I do personally. That's why Paul Felder and I, he, uh, he loved our relationship because that he uh, enjoyed that type of training so much. And, and my high level guys, we get to the point where I don't talk. We just spar on the pads I, I, because my older brother, um, I came up under him. He didn't have a lot of sparring partners. I was really good at mimicking other guys. I'm good at, like, if I can move like a karate guy, I can move like a boxing guy. I wrestled in high school. I can move like an awkward wrestler. I'm a method actor. All I got to do is study them for a minute, and I, I can I can start moving. That's kind of my secret with my guys. And Sergio's actually really good at that, uh, at mimicking fighters, too, because he grew up with Anthony helping out. So, um I think when you learn to mimic other guys, you also learn a, you have a, a wider open palette of what you can learn and not learn, if that makes sense. You know, if, if you're stuck to one style, you live and die by that sort. Um, in fact, Sergio did some things in this fight that were very different. Getting back to Sergio's fight, a lot of people yeah, didn't please. realize he was power punching the whole fight. He wanted to be Canelo that night. So that's why the fight looked a little different than normal. He didn't move as much. It's not until the third round that I tell Serge, you got to loosen up, use your footwork a little more, move with him. But at the first the first two rounds, he was trying to search and destroy. He threw some heavy hooks. He's improved his left hook exponentially. He was throwing some hard right hands. He was trying to really um, let his hands go. Now, Horiguchi, he's a tougher tougher nut to crack to find him, but a lot of the guys he's going to fight in this tournament are are going to catch that, that, that smoke from him because that's one thing Serge wanted to do. He's uh, he's embracing his Mexican heritage. He loves Canelo, and he wanted to come out there. Another guy he likes a lot is Bud Crawford. He wanted to be the closer. Oh, he was successfully both of those, Duke. Uh, I got to ask you a question, though, about, about the Coleman event, Amanda Nunes, because you're talking about weight cutting. You remember you go back you go back like I do. You remember Ricky Fatten, right? Ricky Hatton, the boxer yeah. known for kind of getting out of shape in between fights. Riddick Bowe that killed his career getting out of shape in between fights. Yo-yoing up and down, gaining weight, going back down in weight, going go, going up and then down. Really takes you know Roy Jones Jr. was killed going up to heavyweight and then trying to make like light heavyweight again. Do you think Amanda Nunes fighting at forty five and then thirty five and then forty five and going up and down? Do you think that's shortening her career and we might see some vulnerabilities on Saturday? Or is she still, uh, you know, the goat? She has it all. It's not going to be a challenge. Do you think that might catch up to her or not? That's always. I mean, when you're switching weight classes, it's it's a. I mean, I've seen Anthony Pettis do it, and we had mixed results. You know, I mean, because. Yeah. Once you go up to 70, it's hard to get back down to 55. I mean, because it's not like boxing where there's the four-pound difference on the lighter weight classes, six or seven pounds up, 10 pounds up, I mean, at a heavier weight. But, I mean, it's 10, 15-pound gaps, 20 pounds from 85 to 205. And that's a lot of weight when these people already thread the eye of the needle. And Amanda is a big, strong yeah. athlete. She's uh you know, she's, she's very strong. I mean, um, the only thing is, uh, the weight cut. I mean, I think the weight cuts are, I think more women should just go up to 45 and populate that division. They'd perform better and do better and be, be happier, you know, cause they're, I like fighting, but at the end of the day, this is what I love. And you know what? Mike Tyson said it best. A happy fighter is a dangerous fighter. If, uh, your, your, if your weight cut is tougher than your fight, that's a problem. And I find that with a lot of fighters, you know, the weight cut 
seems to stress them out more than the fight. And that's not a good thing because you're doing the hardest thing to your body before you do the hardest thing to your body fight. You know, it's um, so, yeah, it could affect her, but I don't see it affecting her that bad. Stylistically, she's a very good matchup against uh, Juliana, you know, um, you know, Coach Steve Marco at uh, ATT and yep. Coach uh, Mike Brown, they're they're going to have her, her her wrestling defense in check. Striking Amanda has a huge advantage in this fight. Now, I love Juliana. She's a friend of mine, um, great fighter. Not, but here's the beauty of striking. You know, when you, you wrestle or you grapple, you can scramble and escape things. Problem with striking, it's like a bullet. Sometimes it's fatal. There's no escaping a bullet to the head, you know, and and that's what what I love about striking. If their defense is off, there are there is a lot of lucky punches in fighting. Yes and no. Did you try to win? Yeah, but you know sometimes the best striker doesn't win the striking exchanges, and you know it's very I call it fifty fifty. When someone's when you're good at striking, it's still fifty fifty. I can get knocked out. It's very treacherous territory. Grappling when someone is better at grappling nine out of ten times they're going to win grappling when they're better at wrestling they have a better chance to win if that makes sense it makes absolutely perfect sense and my jujitsu instructor i feel exactly the same way he always feels safe around me he's a better grappler duke man your mma mind i could be on here forever thank you so much for joining us again and enjoy the fights and the wedding this weekend brother thank you appreciate it. all the best merry christmas happy holidays to everyone uh, you guys are awesome. It's always a pleasure to join you. I'm, I'm honored. Anytime, dude. Appreciate you, man. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.